This week on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking with Dr. Johnny Pete. He is a board-certified gynecologist practicing in the Woodlands, Texas, and is an expert in the fields of hormone optimization and sexual health for both men and women. His mission is helping patients to look better, feel better, and live better. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan. And I have a very special guest with me here today, Dr. Johnny Pete, P-E-E-T, Pete, who is a personal friend of mine and an amazing uh, gynecologist and pioneer in all of the things that I love to do with sexual wellness and all of the incredible things that we can do to optimize sexual wellness in women and in men, actually. So hi, Johnny. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Susan. It's great to be here. So I'll tell you a little story. So um, Johnny and I met because he was actually my trainer when I was undergoing the initial training to learn how to use bioidentical hormones and pellet therapy and also laser therapy for vaginal rejuvenation as well as platelet-rich plasma. So these are things that I've incorporated into my practice, but um, Johnny is the master in all of these things and he teaches this to other physicians, which is such an amazing service. And um, just to uh, you know, blow his horn a little bit. He's actually, you know, a master teacher for all of these things um, and was way ahead of his time, which I find so interesting because I kind of think of myself as being ahead of my time. But how did that happen that you got so far ahead of the curve and we're doing this so far before any of us? Well, it happened kind of by accident, really. Um, I, I stopped uh, obstetrics. I stopped delivering babies about um, a little over eight years ago. And um, went out on my own and opened my own gynecology practice here in, in my hometown in Montgomery County. And um, whenever I stopped delivering babies, I found I actually had time to learn new things. Mm. <laughs> so, Isn't that something? Mm. Because when we're, I don't know about you, but my impression, <laughs> my life as an OBGYN, just a regular traditional medicine doctor, was that we didn't have time to learn new things. And that's a whole nother subject. But I talk about that a lot, that most doctors don't know this stuff and it's not their fault. They just don't have time. But, you know, so you had time and and what led you towards this? Why, why did you think this was important out of all the things you could have learned? It, it all started with hormone therapy. So what I decided um, when I, I opened my, my practice with gynecology and aesthetics and, and stopped doing obstetrics and stopped being on call is um, I really wanted to figure out what was best out there with hormones because I felt like with um, uh, traditional medicine and, and with big pharma, there is not that much to choose from. Um, certainly, um, there were a few transdermal estradiols out there, um, only one bioidentical progesterone out there, and uh, really nothing in regard to androgen therapy for women. And so, so testosterone, think, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, just, just nothing available. And so I said, you know, there has to be something better uh, than this. And at the time I had begun taking testosterone myself recently um, at that time, eight, nine years ago, maybe 10, and um, was doing injections and said, there, there really has to be something uh, better um, th than this. And, and there was, uh, I didn't realize it. it was out there. It's been out there for since the 1930s. Um, bioidentical subcutaneous pellet therapy for both testosterone and estradiol. And I, that is kind of the gateway to the sexual wellness medicine that we now practice. We, we, we became a sexual function practice without even asking to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's so interesting because that kind of happened to me too. Like once you start learning about this stuff and I, similar to what your story sounds like, I was using these hormones myself because of my own issues that I was going through with hormonal change and aging and realized that this wasn't available to most of our patients and just felt like, oh my gosh, we've got to tell people about this. It's just, I mean, I say this to you, I can say, cause you're another physician. I really felt like it was almost bordering on malpractice not to offer it with all of the benefits that um, you and I know come from, uh, hormonal optimization. So you had your, your own journey with hormones and then you came across pellets, which you, let's talk about this, that they've been around since the 1930s. We can jump into that later, but there's so many myths about hormone pellets. So, um, and then what happened? Like, there's such a great story. Yeah. So, you know, I, I read your book recently, so I can shamelessly plug your book, right? Yeah, pl please. Okay. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, but you said some of the same things that I felt, and that is during my OBGYN residency, um, and I felt like I had very good training. Um, I learned nothing about sexual medicine. I, I could tell you everything I learned about sexual uh, medicine and sexual dysfunction and actual treatment of sexual dysfunction in about two paragraphs mm-hmm. yeah. in, in eight years of medical school and residency. And that was um, Astroglide and Primrin cream and Primrin and um, go see a sex counselor. That, that was about it. I mean, there, there just really wasn't anything. And, and yet so many patients have, have trouble in this area and we just didn't have much to offer. And when we began offering testosterone therapy for, for our female patients and now our, our huge male population, what we found was is everyone is, is lacking in this when they get into their thirties and forties and fifties and beyond. Um, everyone's walking around testosterone deficient. That's why we're losing muscle mass and gaining body fat and losing our bone strength and our sexual function suffers. And then we have chronic diseases like type two diabetes and Alzheimer's and things that are from years and years of testosterone deficiency. Um, we didn't used to live that long, right? Um, right. Yeah, isn't that so interesting? <laughs> I, you know, and I talk about this a lot and, uh, I don't know what our maker was planning, but my gut feeling is that we were not supposed to live past 50 for sure. And in third world countries, uh, people still live in in their forties as an average lifespan. So this whole living after 50 thing is a very new, uh, consideration. It's like, uh, only the last 200 years, we've been able to even think about this. So parts of our body wear out and stop producing vital hormones way before we die. And that's critical to our health as we're aging. Right. And so testosterone is so important. And I think most people, including most doctors, even if they're thinking about hormone replacement at all, they're only thinking of estrogen and progesterone, uh, but testosterone really falls off the list for very almost all doctors unless they've taken some type of education like what I took with you. So mm-hmm. w- why is that, do you think, that we've been so resistant in the medical community to consider testosterone as a really important hormone for women as well as men? And, and it's actually, with, with like most everything, if you follow the money, you'll get to the answer um, uh, of what happened. But essentially, testosterone pellet therapy was around for women who had radical hysterectomies for cervical cancer in the 1930s. Um, and these were compounded uh, pellets um, before there was any hormones uh, really available. But in the, in the 60s, when Premarin came out, um, and there was really a large propaganda campaign about how estrogen was replacing women's vitality and, and this, and everything was about estrogen. And so um, the public and uh, physicians and patients, we all thought, well, estrogen must be the female hormone, right? The reality of it is I run my male and female patients at about similar estradiol levels. And estrogen is just as important in men as it is in women. Um, and another myth or, uh, or true reality about this is that, um, you know, the androgen receptor for testosterone is on the X chromosome and women will make more testosterone in their lives than they make estrogen. So estrogen is not a female hormone and testosterone is not a male hormone. Um, there are receptors in more body parts in females for testosterone than there are for estrogen or Gosh. progesterone. Isn't that just so interesting? And I remember when I was starting my practice, I graduated from residency in 1999. So I think that's a few years before you, but generally we're in the same generation. We were prescribing Premarin like candy, literally, like everybody mm-hmm. should take it. And uh, m- most of you know who are listening to this, that Premarin is not a biologically identical hormone. It actually comes from horse urine. It's horrible in all kinds of ways. They torture animals to get it. You take it by mouth. It messes with your liver. It's just an awful uh, chemical. And yet it, it does provide relief for for, horm- for some menopause-related symptoms. So yeah, we prescribed it to everybody and it was supposed to make you live longer and all these wonderful things. And then in 2002, what happened? Yeah. So the WHI, um, the cover of Time magazine, said, oh my gosh, are your hormones safe or were they going to be killing you? Right. Um, and, and I was in private practice then, and, and it was, it was a tremendous influx of phone calls. Um, and they were stopping the study early, right? Because estrogen plus the uh, primrim plus, um, uh, 
Provera group or PrimPro group, um, there was an increased risk of blood clots and breast cancer. So we were gonna have to stop the study early. So unfortunately, hormones got tagged under a big umbrella and, and PrimPro was this dangerous medicine. So all hormones must be a problem, right? So everyone, hundreds of thousands of women quit their hormones in 2002. Um, and so what's happened in the last 18 years since so many women quit their hormones? Has Alzheimer's gotten more common or less common? Yeah, it's, right? sho it's shocking, <laughs> isn't it? And I actually remember where I was. It was one of those moments like, you know, when JFK was shot. I remember where I was when that uh, mm -hmm. news article was released in, I think it was May or around spring in 2002. Mm -hmm. And just everything changed. And like you said, bombardments of phone calls and I trying to figure out what was going on and not to overreact. But we all reacted to that as physicians, I think, as a precaution to get everyone off their hormones. And yeah, like tens of thousands of women have suffered all kinds of health issues because of being taken off their hormones due to that study. And then slowly over time, and this has been almost 19 years now, could we just put that thing in the past and burn it? Because, you know, thousands of studies have been done since then. But it's amazing how that study was burned into the kind of urban legend myth of reality that everybody believes, physicians and patients as well, that when I say estrogen now, you say cancer. Like it's just almost <laughs> they're, they're just go together, right? And that's something that happened in 2002, and it's going to take a few more years to unwind. But that's just not true, is it? I mean, that's not true. And it, we don't use those compounds anymore, and we don't give them orally, and we didn't give them to those patients. And even in that study, the group that took estrogen only didn't have an increased risk of breast cancer. So all of those things are true. But with bioidentical hormone pellet therapy, what do you tell patients about those risks? Because they are going to say, well, I, wait a minute, I heard it causes breast cancer and blood clot, heart disease, stroke. I heard you have to get off it when you're 60 or you can only take it for five years or all of those things. So how do you address that with patients who, you know, announce those concerns? Because that's what they've heard. Yeah. And so, you know, what we do know is that since so many people quit their hormones, um, Alzheimer's is more common, hip fractures um, and osteoporosis is more common, type 2 diabetes is more common, heart disease in women is, is getting more common instead of less common right, right now that they're off of their hormones. So in 2017, um, the main writer of the WHI, Dr. Manson, released um, a publication that surprisingly did not get put on the cover of Time magazine. And what that um, follow-up said, well, you know, we followed all these women in both groups. And um, what we did find now, 15 years later, is there was no increase in all-cause cancer or cardiovascular mortality in any of the groups. And isn't that uh, interesting? And, and just to let people know, <laughs> if you don't know the term WHI, I've talked about the Women's Health Initiative study like hundreds of times on this podcast and elsewhere. And that's the study that really was a probably the most detrimental thing that's ever happened to women's health um, in my lifetime. Um, and we're still sort of fighting against the backlash of that. But it is so interesting that the authors published this very good article in 2017 saying, you know, please don't keep quoting our initial study because it was misinterpreted and, and actually everything's okay. And most people didn't hear about that. Certainly most physicians didn't. In fact, when I learned about it, which was way after it came out, uh, I was shocked. And none of my colleagues who are all board certified OBGYNs had even read it. It wasn't on the American College of OBGYN reading list or anything like that. And why is that? Like, why, why was there <laughs> such resistance uh, for people to know that that was wrong? Yeah, it's, it's really mind boggling. Um, because when I counsel patients, I counsel them about the risks of not taking hormones. Right. right. But what women worry about uh, most commonly, or it may be different from what physicians worry about, women worry about breast cancer. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. We worry about side effects like, like weight gain or other problems. Um, and I can look my patients in the eye and honestly tell them we have plenty of data on estradiol and breast cancer, and it is breast cancer neutral. That is proven. It's not really debatable anymore. Um, every study before, during, and after the WHI has pretty much said the same thing. Um, Dr. Avril Blooming, an oncologist in Los Angeles, has a book called Estrogen Matters that anyone who's worried about estrogen should read it. That's such a great um, book. Yes. And I've talked about it before. Please get that book. It's very, very useful. 
And, and he goes through most all of the really important studies, but he also shows that, that um, um, you know, we don't need to worry about estrogen causing breast cancer. And I tell patients that it does not increase your risk of getting breast cancer. Um, it is breast cancer neutral. And, and that's important for them to realize that nothing we do when we give hormone replacement therapy properly is going to increase the risk of breast cancer. And there are some things we do that probably decrease their risk for, for breast cancer. Now, doctors worry about a little different things. They say, well, are we going to have an increase in heart attacks or diabetes or osteoporosis or, or any of those things? The reality of it is that all of these things are decreased when we use hormones correctly for patients. All chronic diseases can be um, lessened or prevented um, when we use hormones correctly. So we know that transdermal estradiols or pellet subcutaneous estradiol, anything non-oral, doesn't lead to blood clots or heart attack or stroke. So if patients are worried about any of these risks, if we use the correct hormone in the correct delivery system, we essentially eliminate all of those risks. So I don't talk to patients about risks of hormones. I talk to them about risks of not taking hormones and risks of not taking hormones are significant. Yeah. And that's so true because we know if you don't take hormones, you will increase your risk of Alzheimer's, which is huge since we're all going to live so long. And all of us have had, most of us have had a elderly relative in our family or friend who has suffered with Alzheimer's. My grandmother spent the last 10 years of her life not knowing who her children were. And I, the cost emotionally and financially of that disease is just beyond calculation. And then hip fracture, we know that you have a 50% chance of dying if you fracture a hip, if you're elderly, because of all of the downturns that happen due to lack of mobility and all these other things. And so those two things alone are a massive benefit to the geriatric population, also decrease in colon cancer, and then not to mention how it makes you feel right now. So I think that's great to be a healthy elderly woman or a person. Um, but I'm also really excited about how it makes me feel today because it dramatically improves my quality of life. Um, so that is something we can't measure so easily in a study, right? So there aren't so many studies done on uh, quality of life improvement, relationship improvement, like general well-being. Those are harder things to measure, but we can certainly measure things like Alzheimer's disease, hip fracture, uh, right? I mean, so I agree. Like if you're not being offered hormone replacement, like that's a, a problem. And those diseases like Alzheimer's and, and osteoporosis and hip fractures, those aren't diseases that are easy to treat once they happen. They have to be prevented. That's right. And they have to be prevented a decade or two before they were going to get there. Um, if you wait till someone's broken a hip or if you wait till someone already has significant cognitive decline, you're not going to get the results that you want out of hormones for those people. Um, you really have to prevent it 10, 20 years beforehand. Um, and as far as quality of life issues, there's been really good studies about comparing which hormones um, do most for quality of life for women. And as it turns out in head to head uh, studies, uh, testosterone uh, gets better results for quality of life measures statistically than estrogen. Mm. Now, of course we like both, but if you had to choose one, testosterone actually works better than estradiol. So earlier in our discussion, we were talking about why is it that we consider testosterone a male hormone and estrogen a female hormone, besides the fact that we had all the propaganda with Wyatt Aerist and Primrin. If you remember back in the 80s, the uh, Major League Baseball had a Senate investigation into PED use, steroid use. During all of that, they changed the schedule of testosterone to make it a much harder medication to prescribe, a controlled substance, right? Um, and what that did was, is it changed the prescribing practices of physicians in the US, right? A lot of physicians don't write any controlled substances. So now you're having to write a controlled substance uh, for all of your hormone patients when it's a lot easier just to give them an estrogen patch. Right, right. Or, or an antidepressant or the things yeah. that most doctors do. But isn't that fascinating that a, a biologically identical hormone has categorized as a controlled substance, like um, a narcotic would be or an opiate. I mean, that's and the so craziest crazy. Is, is that, do you really think that those baseball players were using bioidentical testosterone 
Yeah, of course no, not. They're using anabolic steroids, which are totally different. So that that's a question that people often ask. In fact, I've, that's a misunderstanding that's quite common in uh, the general population that, oh, if you're taking testosterone and you're, is that like doping? So I run marathons, I do races, and I use testosterone pellets for my libido and general well-being. Is that considered doping? I mean, it's totally different like, than anabolic steroids that uh, beef up your muscles to, you know, and cause all kinds of health problems. So this is a different, different altogether. This is biologically identical testosterone that you already have in your system. We're just bringing the levels back up to where they were when we were younger. So how do you address those kind of questions when your patients bring those to you? So what we're giving our patients is bioidentical sex hormone testosterone. It is aromatizable, which means your body turns it into estradiol. And both women and men need estradiol. And that's the only way that men get estradiol. So this is a sex hormone. It's not an anabolic steroid that is synthetic and your body doesn't recognize it and know how to metabolize and get rid of it. So it causes no damage uh, to the reproductive system. None of those side effects that anabolic synthetic steroids cause. Um, They're really not even related. Yeah, which is, that's one of the biggest myths, I think, about testosterone. Um, Patients uh, will come and maybe they, or the naysayers, their friends who say, you know, you shouldn't do this because, or many physicians, frankly, will tell them, don't do this because testosterone is not meant for women. You're going to get acne, hair growth, you'll lose hair, you'll get muscles that are inappropriate for a woman's uh, shape, your clitoris will get too big and don't, it's dangerous, it'll make you have a heart attack. I've heard all these things and so have you, I'm sure. When patients um, think about testosterone, those are the thoughts that are often in their minds and, and frankly, often promoted by their physicians. So this is not the case with uh, biologically identical testosterone given in pellet form. And so like Johnny said in his practice, he doesn't see those things. I don't either, and knock on wood, haven't had complaints with testosterone. I mean, frankly, the complaints that we get are from hormones being too low rather than too high, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. We've been using bioidentical testosterone for men and women for over eight years, and we've performed uh, around 15,000 procedures. So in our practices in the Woodlands, um, Woodlands Gynecology and Aesthetics, and then Woodlands Medical Aesthetics Institute, we have two, two offices there. So if these mysterious mythic side effects were happening, we would know about them. Um, most of the side effects that occur of, of therapy are very mild and easy to treat. And, and we, we don't have patients quit therapy because of side effects. That's, that's really a myth. Yeah. Isn't that true? And I've done uh, way fewer procedures than you, 15,000. You're right. That's going to be a very large number that would show any potential side effects that would come up in over eight years if there were risks, they would be evident and they're just not there. And in my practice, I see the same thing that the complaints that we have are from hormones being too low rather than the opposite. Uh, generally, just a, an incredibly overwhelming positive response to hormone optimization. So I want to move on to some of the other things that you do, but just what would you say are the maybe few, you know, three or four biggest myths about uh, pellet therapy for men and women and, and what the truth is to uh, debunk that myth? So the biggest myth is about side effects. Uh, side effects are very rare and mild and easy to treat. So men and women both, there are this, there's just no side effects. And, and so they're easy to manage. Um, number two, everyone says, oh, well, hormones can cause cancer. Testosterone has been shown to be protective of multiple types of cancer, including likely lowering the risk of breast cancer. It's been used to treat breast cancer. So um, we're probably lowering the risk of our postmenopausal hormone using patients um, for breast cancer incidents by adding testosterone to the hormones that they're using. Mm. Um, So uh, there there are a lot of myths about those things, but when these folks come back into your office and they finally are feeling like they did when they were 20 and their sex life is restored and they're happy and they're bringing their partners in, um, and they've, they've finally got their life back where they might've spent 10 or 20 years wishing for the days of youth and they've got it back now and they're excited. So these people come to me and say, I, things haven't been this good for us. And as a married couple or for in 20 years, what else you got? Right? right. I mean, this is so great. What else do you have? And so that is where 
we have this large group of patients that are taking testosterone, they are enjoying their renewed sexual function, and they want to continue to make it better. And that is how we grew just to take care of these patients uh, into vaginal laser, um, into uh, electromagnetic pelvic floor therapy, into platelet-rich plasma and stem cell injections. And all of these things, we didn't really plan on opening up a sexual medicine clinic. That wasn't the idea. But all of these patients said, this is wonderful. What else do you have, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's so, I think that's so great. I did, I've done something similar where I transitioned from my career and really didn't know what direction it was going to go in, but it really was driven by patience. You're right. Because this, and this is what I wrote my book about and why I have a podcast called Sexually Woke, because there's such a gap, I think, in midlife sexual medicine and understanding the, you know, holistic components behind that, which are hormonal and, you know, of course, our biggest sex organ is our brain, but we've got to keep the anatomy healthy and having a place like yours uh, where patients can go and have all of that addressed I think is so important and it's so rare. And so, you know, you almost just sort of sit there and it happens, right, when you start offering this stuff because I think the need for it and the demand in the population is so much greater than the resources that are available. And thank goodness somebody's doing it. So now I've got my hormones optimized, and I do actually. And Johnny actually taught me how to do hormone pellets. Thank you very much because I'm, I'm loving mine. And I can say as a guinea pig for my own, um, the products that I – offer to other people. And I do have a, a rule that I don't offer anything in my office that I haven't tried myself. So I have hormone pellets in my body and I tell everybody who says, when should I get off of them? I say, I'll be wearing them when they put me in the fire. I'm going to be wearing mine at my funeral. Uh, we Please don't stop them. Uh, that's another question just before we go into the other stuff. I mean, so frequently patients say, why, you know, you can't take it for longer than 10 years. The reality is when you stop taking them, all of the benefit is going to start to decline and those risks will start to go up again. So uh, why on earth would you stop it? This is something we want you to take forever. So I'm certainly going to do that. And I feel completely transformed since my hormones were uh, optimized to the point where I wrote a book about it. I mean, it was just like, goodness me, can we just tell everyone about this? Because I want everyone to feel as good as I do. And Johnny's probably willing to disclose he uses them too. I think you did say, wow. I think that you use testosterone because it's uh, it's just makes us feel better, right? Not to mention the long-term health effects. These patients um, come back in. What we learned was, is a lot of sexual medicine, you're not going to find out unless you ask. These women especially have been going to their doctors for years and years and never mentioned their sexual problems one time um, because they didn't expect to get any help um, mm -hmm. really in the first place. And it's kind of embarrassing to talk about. So, you know, we have questionnaires that are very specific when these folks come back into follow up and they say, this is great. I'm actually, I actually have libido and I don't have any more pain with intercourse and I don't have dryness. And, but we ask very specific questions. Are you able to climax? Is it difficult? Um, and because they're, we're asking, we're getting this information back and they say, yes, maybe everything's great, except I'm having trouble having an orgasm. Well, the, the pellets have helped, but we have a vaginal laser that can help, or we can inject um, uh, the clitoris with platelet-rich plasma or uh, with or without stem cells, and we can do some other things. But if we hadn't asked the question, probably would have never got that information. Well, and, and that's, so that's so true. And I can you can probably remember when you were in a traditional practice, I didn't want to ask that question because I had 10 or 15 minutes. And I remember standing by the door when a patient said, oh, by the way, I don't have any sex drive. And it's like, oh, I don't have time to talk about this. Like, I, you know, that time pressure, you know, traditional doctors are not going to ask about this. And I would just hazard to say it's because they really don't want to open that Pandora's box. They don't have time. They don't know the answers themselves. Probably they're struggling with the same issues that you are. Uh, you've got to just understand, I think, that doctors are people too. They don't know everything and they're under time pressure. So uh, issues to do with sexual medicine take time. I mean, you know, you need to be listened to. These are not issues you can go through in 10 minutes. So, and you're right. I wouldn't bring that up either with my regular physician because I know I'm probably going to be told, oh, you're fine. Um, this is normal for someone who's 53, just dismissed. And so no one's going to volunteer to be dismissed. And I think we're so used to being dismissed as women, especially by our physicians, that we just don't bring it up. And so 
thank goodness there's places you can go where you can talk about this stuff and it doesn't, it's not weird or strange. It's just what we do. This is normal conversation. And so, yes, amazing. So maybe let's start with platelet-rich plasma and these other vaginal laser, because uh, I, I do these things too, and they're so amazing. And um, Dr. Pete's way more experienced than I am, frankly, and taught me how to do them. And I'll tell the story. Uh, Johnny gave me my first O-shot, which was amazing. And I've been back a couple of times to get another one because it that's just a life-changing thing. I would like to take a bath in it. The stuff is amazing. And <laughs> let's talk about that. There's a lot of great things about platelet-rich plasma, but uh, number one, it's really safe. And, and number two, it works and it's affordable. And, it, you know, there's there's really nothing that can go wrong or um, be adverse when you're taking someone's own blood and you're spinning it down and removing the red and white cells. And what you're left with is plasma and platelets and, and you're just injecting that back into their body. So um, it's nothing foreign, but what happens is when those platelets start to stick together, um, they release growth factors and those growth factors wake up your stem cells and they come to that area thinking there must've been an injury here. If you envision, and this is kind of how I tell my patients, if you have a cut on your arm and it's bleeding, the reason that you don't bleed to death is because the platelets stick together and form a clot. Well, when those platelets stick together, they release a bunch of growth factors that signals the body that there's been an injury that needs to be healed. And the platelets are what stop the bleeding, but also what start the healing. And the stem cells come to that area and they can figure out what tissue is supposed to be there, right? Whether it's some hairs or hair follicles or epidermis and dermis or sub-Q fat and nerves and blood vessels all got cut and injured. And they have to build all of those tissues, right? You don't want to grow a tooth there. You want to grow skin and, and, and fat and nerves and blood vessels. Well, when we take platelet-rich plasma and inject it anywhere um, in the body, but for sexual medicine, we're injecting the genitals, your body doesn't realize there hasn't been an acute injury there and begins to rebuild the tissue that's supposed to be in the area. Well, what happens when we rebuild new nerve endings and, and more blood vessels uh, in the genitals is we get a lot more sensitivity. Um, and a lot better function. And so what worked ends up working better. Um, mm. when and, and, you can, and you can do this for men and women, right? So I haven't talked about that before on this podcast because I don't treat men. But um, we've talked about what's branded as the O-shot, which is injecting platelet-rich plasma into the clitoris and surrounding tissues and the anterior vaginal wall. And I can tell you as a patient myself, that's just transformational. I mean, amazing therapy. It really works. There's no argument about the science. Like Johnny said, I mean, for years it's been used in orthopedic medicine and wound healing medicine, burn medicine for hair growth. Um, and so in general medicine, it doesn't work any differently, but tell us about using that in men. Cause that's something I've never done. It's very simple and it works really the same way. It's three small injections, um, in, into the penis. And what, what men get from platelet rich plasma is um, they, they get better erections. So the erectile function is uh, greatly improved. And when you regrow new tissue, it's long lasting. In addition, we use it in conjunction with uh, pumps, vacuum pumps. Um, and so platelet-rich plasma with pumps can help um, the girth. And you do see some girth improvement that is also long lasting. So, you know, for these men that feel great on testosterone and their libido is better and their erections are better, but still not as good as they used to be, then we add in these other therapies like platelet-rich plasma and, and pumps and shockwave therapy and other things like that. So it's kind of a stepwise fashion. I always start with hormones. I fix the hormones first and then see what issues that we still have that need to get better and then try to pick the next therapy in line that would help. If it's, um, if it's orgasm problems, then I kind of go to the O-shot next. Uh, if there's still some lubrication or pain problems or urinary incontinence, I tend to go try to do a laser of the vagina with the O-shot at the same time. It depends on how aggressive that you want to be. All of these things are, are very quick. Uh, they sound like they would be painful, but um, Really and truly getting Botox or fillers is probably more painful in the face than getting um, platelet-rich plasma injections in the genitals. So, Well, and I can uh, tell you that's true because I've had both of those things done, and absolutely that's true. Um, getting uh, filler in your lips is way more painful than having a vaginal laser procedure. So, so this is interesting because um, as we were talking about, uh, platelet-rich plasma loves healing wounded tissue. So when you do a laser procedure, for example, and platelet-rich plasma at the same time, you're, you're really creating wounded tissue on purpose for the platelet-rich plasma to 
really excel at what it's designed to do, right? So that really just kind of enhances its ability to do its job. Is that what you've seen? Yeah. So think about it this way. If, if you want your muscles to get bigger, you go to the gym and you work out. Well, when you work out, you're breaking down that muscle. And then when your body rebuilds the muscle, it gets bigger than it was before, right? So creating that repetitive tissue injury is what leads to the, the tissue rebuilding and the bigger muscles. So if I create an injury and then put platelet-rich plasma on it, it gives the platelet-rich plasma something to fix. Um, and then it regrows back better than before the injury was created. Um, because of the new connective tissue, the new blood vessels, the new nerves, the improved blood flow. Um, so anytime you create, and that's how lasers are anyway, whenever we're using a laser for the face or anywhere else, we're creating an, an injury there and it has to heal. Um, so platelet-rich plasma helps it to heal faster and to heal better. Mm, that's just so amazing. And this is real science. It sounds almost too good to be true, but uh, the science around platelet-rich plasma is just indisputable. And so um, putting it anywhere, like Johnny said, is uh, going to improve you know, vascularity and in turn improve your nerve function and more collagen and all of these amazing things. So um, one of the biggest complaints that I hear in my practice and probably for you too in postmenopausal women is uh, vaginal pain within a course, vaginal dryness, thinning of the vaginal tissue, which is a real thing that happens from estrogen depletion. So we, we put back the estrogen, of course, and that takes a time because those unhealthy cells need to go through multiple cycles of life and death in order to regain their health. And that can take months, but we can speed that up by using laser therapy. So um, tell us about your experience with that and who you would use uh, vaginal laser treatments on and what they could expect to benefit from? So we've been doing a vaginal laser since 2015. And we, um, we did some initial studies uh, for a laser company when they introduced their new laser. We, we did all the prototype work in, in my office. And so we, we worked a lot on the different hand pieces and the depths and the different um, densities of treatment and all those types of things. So we learned a lot more of that than we bargained for <laughs> because we were kind of in on the, on the ground floor on that. What we found in our studies, because we followed all these patients, we did three laser treatments about a month apart, and then we followed them for uh, three, six, nine, and 12 months, trying to figure out which things were getting better. And what we found was, is that lubrication was something in pain. Those two things were the easiest to fix. Most everyone had improved lubrication and uh, resolution of pain. And that being said, they need their hormones fixed. We know that, right? Um, but the, the two other things that I've, I felt were really, uh, were three other things actually that were very significant and we had long lasting effects for at least a year, at least that's as long as our study was going. Urinary incontinence improved significantly, uh, both stress incontinence and um, urgency incontinence um, and orgasmic um, uh, function improved significantly even quickly after the first treatment within a few weeks. Um, and then also laxity. So we had um, uh, the patients would score their own um, laxity scale and, and they would fill out these forms when they come in and we would try to learn how their um, arousal was and, and all the different things uh, based on scoring system that they did. And we even had partners mail in laxity scores that were of course confidential. Um, and then we had clinicians trying to uh, measure laxity. We even had some pressure devices. Uh, the, the clinician scoring was, was, was pretty, um, uh, we were mean. We, we, didn't really see an <laughs> we didn't really see an improvement on our, on our exams and the, the pressure things didn't work very well, but uniformly across the board, the patients and the partners um, noticed improvement in, um, within laxity. So uh, laxity, urinary incontinence, orgasmic potential, um, the ease of reaching orgasm and then also the quality as well. And then, um, lubrication and pain were easy, were the easiest things to fix and got better in just about everyone. But the urinary incontinence, we had, um, about, uh, 70% resolution of stress incontinence at nine months, um, wow. which is, you know, pretty good for not having to have surgery. And, when I do surgery for stress incontinence, that's the only benefit you get is stress incontinence. When we do a laser for stress incontinence, you get all those other good things too. Right. Um, and that's so, that's so interesting because uh, I had mentioned on a recent podcast, I had, you know, I have three kids and I was uh, 
about to have a, a, a sling procedure, which is a very valid surgery for stress incontinence, and it's not a bad surgery. It's still the gold standard for severe stress incontinence, but accidentally it got canceled due to COVID. And since that time, I pursued other things, including the vaginal laser, PRP, and doing some pelvic physical therapy. And I don't need the surgery anymore. I mean, that has completely resolved. And you know, I could have had the surgery, that would have been fine, but you're right, that would have only cured that one thing. But as a result of having these other therapies, which inadvertently I pursued just because my surgery was canceled, turned out I didn't need it. So I really has opened my eyes to what we can benefit from that's non-surgical. And uh, Dr. Pete and I both are surgeons. I mean, we do these things like slings and sometimes they're needed. But I think um, any wise surgeon would generally recommend pursuing non-surgical things first. And these are treatments that can frequently allow us to avoid having a surgical procedure that has some element of risk, albeit low. Um, These are things you can walk out of the office and go back to work and have sex in just a few days. And uh, such an improvement over the traditional therapy, which would be just surgery. And, you know, what's um, unfortunate nowadays, we all know what's happened with deductibles, right? So everyone's deductibles are so high for surgery. And anytime you have any kind of surgery, you're going to meet that deductible. Well, now I can offer a patient three vaginal lasers with PRP and an O-shot in three treatment sessions, about four to six weeks apart. And the reality of it is it's going to cost them about the same as if they went in and had that sling procedure done. Isn't that funny? And like, you're right. They're not going to get any benefit from the sling other than resolving that one thing, which is good, but it's not going to get any of the other benefit as far as orgasmic potential, a sensation of vaginal tightening and um, moisture, which is huge, and pain resolution. So I don't know anything worse really than having, uh, as far as sexual medicine, than having pain with intercourse. That is a major deal breaker. So uh, when we can cure that for patients, it's so rewarding. I mean, that's been one of the most amazing things that I've experienced moving into this field, seeing that transformation occur where patients can move from a place of uh, really having fear of sexual intimacy to being able to enjoy it again. Certainly the, um, you know, pain avoidance is an instinct. And if something is painful, we instinctively avoid it. Don't want to do it. Yeah. There's no such thing as um, normal libido with with um, painful intercourse. And in in order to fix the libido, you must fix the the pain first. Um, And so testosterone actually helps quite a bit. Um, Estrogen helps, lasers help, platelet-rich plasma helps. Um, And it's, these are real medical conditions. They're not things that um, you can go talk to a therapist about and then have your pain with intercourse go away, right? Which is kind of what we were taught in uh, residency, you can try some master glide and go see a sex therapist. And if that doesn't work, I guess we don't have anything else to, to offer you. Um, when you use testosterone therapy, um, you'll take away pain and improve libido in 95% of patients. Yeah, which is um, amazing. I mean, we don't see those kind of numbers with any other kind of therapy, really. And again, this is biologically identical hormones that you have in your own system. They're not really medications. They're not drugs. So, uh, and what an amazing relief to hear that there's hope because so many, probably men as well, but certainly women in my age group in our fifties are, have been told so many times that there's nothing we can do for you. And doctor says, well, you're fine. So I guess it must be in your head. Just go see a psychologist. And it's not in your head. And you've got a hormonal deficiency caused by aging and that causes problems that can be corrected so that you can enjoy the second half of your life even better than the first half because not now you've got great sexual wellness and you've got some wisdom. So those two together are an amazing combo. So I know it's almost the end of your time, but I wanted just to find out, this is so exciting. Um, Johnny talked about stem cells because um, platelet-rich plasma does cause our body to produce stem cells. But in addition to that, there's a second level you can do, right, with stem cells themselves. So tell us a little bit about that because this is right on the cutting edge of where medicine's going. Anywhere that you inject platelet-rich plasma, you can add uh, stem cells. And we use placental-derived uh, stem cells and exosomes, which are the little packages that the stem cells drop off at the site of injury. Essentially, we use PRP from head to toe. 
we use it for scalp, for hair growth. We use it for lasers on the face, lasers in the vagina. Um, we use it for scar treatments. We use it for lichen sclerosis. We use it for sexual function, O-shot, P-shot. So we're using PRP all over the place. And essentially anywhere that we're using PRP, you can add stem cells and get an improved enhanced response. Um, because what's liable to work better? My, my 51 year old stem cells that come to the rescue in small numbers or placental derived um, stem cells that are concentrated in high numbers. And they're right there with all the growth factors from the platelets that turn these stem cells on and get them to start working. So, you know, it, they are expensive, but um, they're more affordable than people might think um, because we, we do treatments with them every day. Um, and, and so with sexual function, the O-shot is great, like you've said, but if you can want to add some stem cells to it, you can certainly do that and just um, make it even better. That's just really cutting edge, next level stuff. So, so much to talk about, about stem cells. The first question comes to mind, and I don't know the answer to this, actually. I don't think I asked you this before. So I collected stem cells when my babies were born from their cord blood. Um, where are these harvested from? People are donating their placentas and it doesn't, it doesn't matter regarding a blood match or anything of that nature. You can use stem cells from any placenta? So what they, these are tissue banks. These are approved tissue banks that received donated placentas. The placentas have to be from term scheduled C-sections with no labor, no rupture of membrane. Um, and when these placentas come in, most of the, the dense, rich area of the placenta is in the Wharton's jelly and down at the base of the cord going into the um, placenta, that Wharton's jelly is just full. It's the jelly that surrounds the arteries and veins that go back and forth between the mom and the baby. That Wharton's jelly is full of proteins, cytokines, growth factors, um, because think about how fast that baby needs to grow a lung or a brain, right? There's about 1400 different proteins in that Wharton's jelly. You and I as adults have about 500 in our body, total protein. So that fetus has available to it so much more, so many more building blocks in order to grow something really fast uh, and really dynamic. Well, we don't have access to those things anymore, but we can get them from the placenta and we can add them to uh, platelet-rich plasma because if you have that many more proteins to work with, you can build tissue a lot faster because they're the building blocks of all of our our tissues. So we're getting some live stem cells out of the Wharton's jelly as well and out of the placenta. Um, it's a little bit different than cord blood. When we use something called exosomes, we are, are removing all of the cells and just keeping these little packages um, that the stem cells secrete. And in those little packages is things like messenger RNA and proteins and growth factors. And we can actually inject just those and there's no cells of any kind. Because it's an acellular product, you don't have to worry about things like blood types and whatnot. There's no cell membranes in mm. the products because they're filtered so small. Yeah, it's just fascinating. And this really is cutting edge. Like, what do you, what do you currently use stem cells for? And what do you think the future of stem cell therapy is for? It seems like this is just a such an exciting field in the future. Well, we use it um, in a lot of experimental ways. Um, you know, there's not an FDA indication for stem cells as of yet, um, because everyone, every lab is making its own product. It's not um, one product from one company that has an FDA indication for anything specific. But what, what I have seen is that patients will improve in anything that we're treating with platelet-rich plasma, like hair restoration in the scalp. Um, or facial lasers or scar treatments, things like that. The O-shot and P-shot, of course. Now we use the exosome therapy IV uh, for wellness. And um, we also use it um, intranasal and nebulized. So I treat lung disease with nebulized exosomes and we use intranasal uh, to go through the cribriform plate to the central nervous system. So we uh, treat some cognitive decline and um, uh, traumatic brain injury. Uh, patients with those things. And the regenerative medicine, it is cutting edge. It's um, these things are off-label uses. The patients, you know, know this. Um, they're treating some things that that no one else um, has been able to treat. And they're kind of at their last uh, resort. 
Well, so what, what an amazing thing to be given some hope though. And this stuff really is uh, cutting edge. There's, and- there's been some good um, legal things that have happened in the last few years with right to try laws, um, which allow patients to use some of these therapies that they wouldn't have been able to get before those laws were passed. Mm, so. Thank goodness. Hey, this made me think of one more thing in your last couple of minutes. You mentioned the FDA. One of the questions I get about hormone pellets is, uh, well, I don't want to use those because they're not FDA approved. So how do you answer that? Number one, there's no FDA approved testosterone for women, period. So there isn't one available. So if you're going to use testosterone, you have to use it off label. But everything that is in the hormone pellets is FDA approved. That's testosterone, stearic acid. It's just a binding agent. Those are FDA approved. What's not approved is your dose. So if I'm a drug company and I have five different doses of a medication, I have to have five different applications to the FDA, one for each dose. The problem with that in testosterone is for men and women, I have 30 or 40 different doses that I might use. So if I have that many doses as options, I couldn't possibly apply to the FDA that many times. So let's say if we just got one dose approved, that means everyone we treat would have to get the same dose. Yeah. There's such a misconception about that uh, things that are FDA approved are good and those that are not are bad. Um, (laughs) So that's a longer discussion, but um, just suffice to say, there are a lot of drugs that are FDA approved that have horrendous side effects that we wouldn't recommend that you ever take. And these are biologically identical hormones that are possible to patent, really, because they're available in nature and all the other things that um, Dr. Pete mentioned. So don't let that scare you off. That's a bit of a red herring. And thanks for explaining why that's the case. Um, So much we could talk about. I'd love to have you come back and talk some more because I know we've reached the end of your time. And there's so many fascinating little things that you've opened up. It's like a Pandora's box of just exciting stuff to talk about. But thank you so much for sharing your time with us. It's so enlightening to hear all the things that you're doing and uh, take home you know, message to all those the women out there that wonder why um, their sex life isn't like it was uh, 20 years ago and wonder why they don't have any libido and they have just been told it's normal. If that part of your life is gone and we give you testosterone and then it returns, then that means you had a deficiency in a hormone that needed to be treated. You're not crazy. You just, you need to find the right doctor. So you go see Dr. Susan and they'll correct the medical deficiency that is leading you to lose your quality of life with your sexual function. Um, you're not crazy. Um, yeah. You just need a, need a better doctor. Here, here. And thank you. That's a great take-home message. And I say in my office, uh, she's not dead. She's just taking a nap. Like this sex, your sexual being is never dead. It's still there. And if someone tells you it is, like, like Johnny said, find another doctor because you deserve to live in your full aliveness and our sexual being is part of who you are. So thank goodness there are doctors uh, like Dr. Pete who can help you to find that part again, still there. And with these therapies, we can make you feel as good as you did when you were 20, but now you're wiser. So you feel even better. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. And I, I'm going to hit you up for another the podcast because there's so many things we could talk about. But um, thanks for what you're doing to help men and women um, regain their sexual wellness. It's an amazing uh, thing that you're doing. And thanks for spending your time with us today. Thank you. Enjoyed it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.